right, Jack. Right, we're recording now. It's live. I'm hoping it's going to say uploaded now on the right. It should say zero. It says zero percent uploaded. Great. That's always a bit worrying. All right, it's caught up now. Jack, listen. Thank you for agreeing to do this podcast. You're just come out the beach. You're in El Salvador. I was following you on Twitter because, like you just mentioned a second ago, do not comply. Dude, listen, I'm all about do not comply. So I'm an orthopedic surgeon. You you just told me you know nothing about me. So let me just explain to you and the audience who may have never heard of me. But I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I left the private system, um, sorry, the NHS system, the state system in 2017. I graduated in 1998. I was a consultant in orthopedics, head of the, head of the department. I was fed up. It was a bullshit system. It was heavily centralized, protocol-driven, guideline-driven. I couldn't treat patients like my family, and I went, screw this. So I went full-time private. Um, in 2017 and 18, I got involved with the Brexit party. I wanted to get out of the EU, and I thought, great, let's, let's get the country out. Um, so I delved into politics, joined the party. I got accused of being a racist, a white supremacist, Ahmed Malik. Um, and a racist, and um, I got a lot. I just of want to know how much Bitcoin. I, I, say, I just want to know how much Bitcoin you're going to, because with your <laughs> with your history, you are perfect for the Bitcoin tribe. Okay, well, we'll we'll come to that in a second. So basically, um, a lot of all my colleagues basically lost respect for me because I was a dirty Brexiteer. Doctors are all this liberal lefty. They love the EU. They think it's beautiful. It's all wonderful. They don't see it for the dictatorial, supranational, centralist control parasite that it is. But anyway, that's them. So, and then COVID hit. And I'm suddenly, I'm locked out of the private hospitals. I'm not allowed to enter the private hospitals. I'm isolated for about a year. Got no income. It was very depressing. I've got three young kids to look after. My wife is working uh, and I'm stuck at home. And then I got, I got pretty de- depressed, went down multiple rabbit holes. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Got back into the system and then the mandates came around. So that's when I became vocal, went on TV, spoke out against the mandates. Totally bullshit. That, that was dropped in the UK, got back to work. And then I started seeing vaccine harms. And then last December, um, I tweeted saying, like, we need to look into this. And we need to stop the shots and investigate. And I got slapped in the wrist by the medical director and saying, look, you know, if you don't do, if you don't, you know, withdraw this video, we're going to review your practicing privileges. And I thought, you know, at that point I'm being bullied and screw you. If you're going to bully me, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to push back. So I was like, you can't tell me to shut up. I'm raising a patient safety concern. And so I tweeted like mental. So from a thousand followers, I've now got 122 and I'm now adamant to get the truth out. And I don't want to be reliant on just Twitter, which is why I created this podcast about 10 weeks ago. And you're my number 43rd guest. Because I want the truth to come out. Uh, I'm in all these like WhatsApp groups and freedom movement groups and they all talk, talk, talk. And I've had enough of talk. I want action. I want, and no one has a solution. And I think the solution is to inform and educate the public and make them aware of the bullshit, the fiat currency system, the lies, the deception, the fact that government doesn't represent us that you know it's all it's all corrupt healthcare is broken it's run by sick people who profit from sick people so that's me in a nutshell 
And I'm fascinated by you because your your pinned tweet was something about sunlight. And dude, you're too fucking smart for me. I admit I'm a dumb fucking orthopod, right? It was all about sunlight and melatonin. And God, you even had the wavelengths of blue light, red light. So I really wanted to talk to you about that. But when off here, when we just connected, you started talking about decentralization and Bitcoin. And I'm also fascinated about that. So I just want you to talk about whatever you want. But first, what I would like you to explain to me and the audience is what the hell is decentralization, my friend? And remember, keep it simple because I'm really stupid. Well, it's uh, pretty simple. I mean, anything that's decentralized in nature reflects uh, the opinion of proof of work. So let's start with the biology since you're a doctor and I am. Proof of work in food is right behind me. You see the coconuts in the tree? Yeah. The light hit. The leaves, the chlorophyll in the leaves stop the light. The photocenter actually created an exciton. The light was harvested. Coconut was made via photosynthesis. You take sunlight, CO2, plus water, you make sugar. You learn that in third grade. Mm. Hence, there's a coconut behind me. That's called proof of work. That's the natural way of doing it. Proof of work is set up in the Bitcoin algorithm by Satoshi Nakamoto. What's the link that you should know? Um, the basis of biology is light, water, and magnetism. What, how is light, water, and magnetism time-stamped into cells? You've been following me probably enough on Twitter that you know that it's the circadian mechanism, the mechanism that I talk about. When you said, Jack, you're smarter than me, it's not that I'm smarter than you. Than you. I've been doing this a little bit longer than you have. I've been decentralized for 20 years. See, unlike you, I was canceled a long time ago, okay, mm. because I was a threat to Big Pharma. And that's how my story started with the leptin trials. When leptin was found in 1993 and 1994, and I came along in the early 2000s and found out they were full of shit and started to talk about this stuff uh, and out people. Uh, the key is, what's the side of Bitcoin that you need to understand? If you go and read the white paper, which very few people do, it's not the white paper that's important. It's the bibliography that's important. Because when you read the bibliography, you'll find out nine of the footnotes. You know what the subject, title, and heading of those the bibliography is? Time stamping. So immediately, I just explained to you that circadian biology and Bitcoin have something in, in common. It's called time stamping. Now, time stamping in the algorithm is different than it is in cells. But what is the key that links them? is that time is critical to both of the systems that are decentralized. Bitcoin is the only artificial decentralized system. Circadian biology is the only natural system. And when you begin to understand that everything that's alive, a sentient being, works with circadian biology, there is nothing on this planet that doesn't have a circadian rhythm. Nothing. Mm, then mm. you need to realize, okay, as a physician, I need to take that apart and begin to understand what it is about the circadian rhythm that's a big issue. When mm -hmm. I started this out 20 years ago, there was no books. There was no Nobel Prize given you know, for circadian biology. That came in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the funny thing about me is you, know, you were worried about being a crazy SOB a couple of years ago. I was a crazy SOB 20 years ago. Um, Nobody believed what I had to say. There was no books out to verify what I was saying. Mm. Most of this was things that I gained from the literature 
and then started to write blogs with sites from centralized peer review literature that supported my contentions because what did I do? I synthesized probably about 13, 14 different areas of science to prove to people I was right. And how did I codify it? I started mitohacking. I started mitochondrial DNA hacking on myself. And I used the things that I learned on myself. Then I used it on my family. Then I used it on my patients. Then I put it on the internet around, I'm going to say that was around 2009. Wow. And then the shit hit the fan. Then it really hit the fan because people started to realize, look, I don't know if this guy's right, wrong, or indifferent, but the level that he writes at, this is above most physicians' ability to understand. Why? Because you begin to realize you didn't learn a lot of this stuff in medical school. And where you and I yeah. are, are the same, we have the same training. And what I'm trying to tell even physicians and even patients, I didn't know this stuff 20 years ago, but if I can learn it, you can learn it. It may take you a little bit longer. <clears throat> you know, I am a smart guy. I know that. It's a cocky thing to say, but it's not bragging if you can back it up. I was mm. number one in my class. I kicked ass and took names. And the one thing that really separates me is not my intelligence. It's mm. my curiosity. And when there's mm. something that I don't know, I go at it like a, a great white shark going after a baby seal. And that's kind of what I did in the beginning. And once I found the truth, and once I found the big missing piece for centralized medicine was nature, and nature is fully decentralized, you know, that's when I started to teach people that the mitochondrial genome in us is far more important than the one Watson and Crick talked about in 1953. But that's not the message that any medical student gets in any year of medical school. And it's not the message that you get in residency. And it's certainly not the message you get in the peer review literature, because who makes the peer review literature? Big Pharma. Who makes our curriculum? Big Pharma. Those are all centralized corporations. So once you begin to see the top-down approach of what centralization could do, then you have to realize what your risks are. Now, where was I smarter than you? 20 years ago, I built a business outside of my practice that I knew if they tried to take things away from me, that I would be still successful and they wouldn't be able to muzzle me. And they tried. I don't know how much of my story you know, but I had PETA uh, put a tweet in in 2011 uh, that I was trying to blow up a cruise ship when there was 3,700 people on the cruise ship in Galveston, Texas, to come hear me speak. What? That's true. Absolutely true. So I was on Fox News national TV in the United States. People want to know how I got popular. You know how I got popular? By being a lightning rod and not being afraid, not muzzling my mouth. And the people that tried to muzzle me actually made me more famous. So once that happened, then I began the, began the assault on the people that I thought were going to be my tribe, and that was the paleo community. Uh, and the paleo community was basically run by two guys back then. That was mm -hmm. Rob Wolf and uh, another cat named uh, Matt Lalonde, who's a biochemist at Harvard University. Both of them very smart guys, both mm -hmm. of them very good guys, but they were out of their league when they got with me. Why? Because I try to casually point out to them, that boxcar biochemistry is nothing if you don't understand what controls the levers. And it turns out light frequencies control the levers. And I was nice in the beginning. I tried mm. to explain to them. 
I, I was the keynote, the first keynote speaker, my friend, at the Paleo FX conference. Uh, I just did a podcast with one of the guys who was a big paleo guy at that time, who I broke away from for about a decade. His name's Abel Bascom. I would tell you to listen to the podcast because you'll hear some of the history. And Abel knew from my keynote address, I warned everybody in the crowd that not only did I have the goods, but you needed to pay attention to me. And something famous, at least from from my fame, happened at that conference when I told the Harvard uh, psychiatrist that eating a banana in Boston on December 31st was about the stupidest thing you could do from a circadian perspective. And she actually used her degree and her title to try to make fun of me, gaslight me on social media. And, and you have to realize, I'm a big boy. I have big boy pants. Uh, and remember, <laughs> she was a psychiatrist. And I'm a neurosurgeon. Uh, and yes, is that a fucked up thing to say? It is. But in this case, it was true. And I proceeded to take her apart piece by piece. Of course, she blocked me on social media. And to this very day, she's a footnote in history. And I'm getting invited to speak to administrations of other countries while she's at home in Boston eating her fucking bananas. Dude. Take no fucking prisoners, dude. It's all about decentralization. It's all about circadian biology. It's all about decentralizing your whole life. Everything is based on the proof of work. If you don't put the work in, it's not going to happen. It's as simple as that. The key is you have to know what the recipe of life is to make it happen. I always tell my parts of my tribe that are religious, I said, look, the answer is in Genesis 1, 1 to 1, 15. God told you it was all about light. You know what he didn't tell you? The recipe. I said, that's what I'm put on the planet to tell people to do. It's the recipe. And the recipe is the key. Just knowing that it's light isn't enough. Understanding that light is the single most complex topic that you will ever jump down will change your life. And realize that the light that's tied to Bitcoin is electricity. It's also another form of light that's been transformed. And what does electricity do? It goes through the algorithm into miners via proof of work to create something of value with scarcity out of nothing. That's exactly what Richard Feynman said in 1963 at Cal Berkeley when they asked him what a tree is made out of. He said, pretty much nothing. It's made out of thin air. And when you actually realize that that tree behind me is made out of thin air, and light is the thing that drives the thermodynamic process, then it's a hard stop. Then you come talk to me. Then let's talk about what food really is. It's an electromagnetic barcode of where the earth is in relation to the sun at your specific latitude. It's wow. not carbohydrates. It's not proteins. It's not fat. It's an electromagnetic barcode, just like it is when you go to Harrods and buy a fucking tomato. I never, ever thought of it like that. You know, it's really funny. So I used to be religious. I used to be a Muslim. I gave that up a while ago. Um, but I feel quite spiritual. And I feel, you know, it's funny. You know, the, the Zoroastrians were sun worshippers. I just think mm -hmm. those guys, those guys kind of like, they knew something. I tell my kids, the sun is the life giver. And I... I kind of know why now 
our ancestors. Go back, go back even before them. Go back yeah. even before them. Let's talk about the Egyptians. What was with their god? Ra. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's let's make it more simple. The people in your audience, um, we have the most amazing study. The new Anubian people who were black skinned people built the pyramids. Mm. We now have their bones because they were dug up on the side of the Sphinx, dug up on the side of Giza. They have perfect dental arches. They have perfect skulls. The insertion points for tendons and ligaments, which you should know about, were absolutely pristine. And then we have the pharaohs who lived inside the temple with fire. And they have all the same diseases that your patients and my patients have today. Chronic Neolithic disease. It's no mystery. I think he froze. I think he's gone, babe. Yeah, it's like he's froze. I'm seeing myself going good. I don't I know lost, how to check on your computer. I lost I you lost back? you for yeah, you just froze for a second and I, I couldn't get you back. You froze for me too. I was telling the I was telling the girls here I thought your internet oh. died because it was too late for you to be up. No, my internet's full and it's ninety nine percent uploaded. I don't know what happened, buddy. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You're talking about Nubians. Perfect jaws, ligaments, tendons, right. everything. Yeah, their insertion points are perfect. And then the flip side, the same people at the same time were the elites, the pharaohs, who we have mummified, who we've done CT scans on, who have all the same Neolithic diseases that your patients and my patients have today. And where did they live? They lived inside, outside the sun. Uh, and they also had artificial light around. It's called fire. And the Nubians didn't have that. So the story is at least five to 6,000 years old. The problem is the story is changed because we changed light. That time scale really changed in 1873 through 1893 when the light bulb was innovated. And then uh, Tesla and Westinghouse uh, lit up the World's Fair in 1893 with the first AC power circuit. And then we started to use light, first incandescent. Now we've gone all the way to LED. And what have we seen in the 20th and 21st centuries when this has happened? That Neolithic disease is actually perfectly matched to when light changed. But we have idiots that are on Twitter, in nutrition, in dietary, in all walks of life who still want to blame it on diet and exercise when the real biggest change is the electromagnetic environment that we live in. That's changed more than anything else on the planet in the last 120 years. And yeah, mm. do I understand that food has changed? Do I understand that GMO story? Do I understand about the pesticides and glyphosate? Absolutely. But nothing explains why colon cancer was 37th leading cause of cancer in 1900, and today it's number three. Darwin can't explain that. Neither can the pesticides. But guess what does? Light does. Why? Because now we know the mitochondrial genome is turned on trans-epigenetically by light, and it changes the free radical signal. And the free radical signal 
All of them have unpaired electrons. They're all magnetic for that reason. Most of them are paramagnetic. What does that mean? It changes the morphology, size, and shape of proteins. Anytime protein size change, that means morphology and phenotype of disease change. Who's the guy that proved that? Doug Wallace, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, 40 years ago. He also was the guy that found that all mitochondrial DNA is uh, linked to the maternal side of the genome. Yeah. He has very little to do with it. And when you begin to put this all together, you begin to see the real difference between decentralized and centralized medicine. If I was going to give you like the kill shot, it's that we have a myopic focus on the nuclear DNA when we should be focusing on the mitochondrial DNA, because that's where all the thermodynamics of the cell are done. And you learned when you, before you were in medical school, we call a body without energy a cadaver. Mm. We call a body that is made up of abiotic atoms that has energy in it, a sentient being. Mm. It turns out the difference between life and death is the energy and how the physics of the organisms processes and transforms the energy. And that's really the story of decentralized biology, but it's not the story that you and I learned in medical school. We learned what they wanted us to learn so that uh, they would be able to harvest patients so they would say chronic customers for a long period of time. Uh, remember, every time we cure a disease, they lose a customer. So the incentive is to keep people sick by selling them half-truths, selling them supplements, selling them bullshit stories that, you know, staying out of the sun for COVID makes sense, you know, while everybody fucking dies or gets long COVID. Um, mm. That's the kind of bullshit you know, that we've had for literally 120 years since Rockefeller um, basically created Big Pharma to pay the United States government back for breaking up Standard Oil. Yeah, I know about that. And when he started funding all the American Medical Association and the curricular for medical school, got rid of all the chiropractors yeah, and herbalists. That's it, Flexor Report. It's called the Flexor, the Flexor Report. Yeah. He called everyone else a quack. You need to get those quacks closed up. And this is That's this is the only way. still going on to... on Twitter today. Just yeah. Still going well, on, on Twitter today. Centralized doctors call guys like me quacks, but you know the problem is I'm fucking smarter than them, and they and they hate it. They well, dude, absolutely call... hate it because I take people apart. I'm called a quack and a conspiracy theorist, and I I'll take it. <laughs> I'll wear wear it with pride. I don't care. I mean, if that's, that's the right. level that's of... That's how I feel about it, too. If, you, if that's the level I'd of debate... I'd rather be right great. Than, than be accepted. I, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I don't really give a shit. My job, when I took my oath, when I graduated medical school, was mm. to do no harm. And I mm. can tell you, you know, I, I told this to the guys at Bitcoin Beach last night, that three years ago, I was invited to do a documentary that I don't think a lot of people saw. But me, Robert McCullough, and Robert Malone, the guys who are now out there talking about the vaccine, we warned people three years ago not to take it. The movie was done, and it had to be placed behind a paywall. Why? Because all three of us were getting visits from state medical boards and from medical examiners. So we knew that if this got out, it would be a problem. But mm. the thing is, I, I probably broke the rules a little bit. I played the, the documentary through an app on uh, the iPhone called Clubhouse for a bunch of Bitcoiners to hear loud mm. and clear about what I said 
and the things that I found in the trial documents and the uh, the EAU. And yeah. this literally was, we're talking two and a half years ago before anybody got a jab. And I yeah. said, look, this is the reason why they're talking shit about methylene blue, hydrochloroquine, uh, melatonin, vitamin C, because if you have any drug, it actually makes these vaccines illegal based on the law in the United States. And I said, yeah. remember, when the United States talks, everybody listens. When the United States gets sick, everybody else sneezes. And it turns out now everybody that took the jab now has problems. You know, we've seen it in the United States with a guy from the Buffalo Bills having a cardiac arrest on mm. national TV. Uh, a Hall of Fame football player named J.J. Watt here, not a soccer guy, football, NFL player, wound up getting uh, SVT and it couldn't be cardioverted. They had to put him asleep to cardiovert him. This guy's a Hall of Fame player. Literally four or five weeks later, he announces a retirement. Why? Because his cardiologist told him, dude, if you continue to do this, you're going to have a sudden cardiac death on the, the field from the spike protein. But there's wow. others. There's, you know, a paper that just came out, 180 Canadian doctors all below the age of 40 years old yeah. died I saw that. after the vaccine. Yeah. So you got to ask yourself, the cost of compliance is steep, which is why you go back and look on my Twitter feed. That do not comply button has been on there for a long period of time. And it mm. turns out, the more you comply with centralized ideas, the worse off you're going to be. The one thing I will say, the one positive thing I will say about our profession, when someone comes in with a broken femur, uh, broken tibia, you guys do a great job fixing it. We're really good at acute injury care. You know, yeah, somebody 100%. comes in with a subdural, someone comes in with an epidural, we're great at that. But what we suck at is chronic Neolithic disease management. That's 100%. diabetes, autoimmunity, obesity, drug addiction, suicide, mental illness, um, infertility. All of those things are not things that we're good at. And the reason we're not good at it is because we don't understand the thermodynamics of what's causing them. And we certainly don't understand um, the mitochondrial biology and how it links to circadian biology, how it links to the leptin melanocortin pathway. All these are layers of the onion that you need to understand to put it all together. And that's kind of what I've been doing for 20 years. I've been putting it out there. There's a lot of pavement. To read all the stuff that I've put out would probably take you about 10 solid years, even if you were a speed reader. I'm wow. extremely prolific in how I write. Dude, I have no doubt about any of what you just said. I had someone called... Dr. Isabella Cooper, she's a PhD scientist researching mitochondria, and we talked about mitochondria, and she blew me away. I mean, this very simple model that I was explained at med school was it was just, you know, the powerhouse, the engine. And I, I started to realize it's a hell of a lot more than that. It regulates the whole cell. It is the king. It's not the nucleus, like you said. And and, and it was just no, it blowing my mind. it tells the nucleus what to do. Yeah, right. that's what it's I'm saying. Look, I, I, I didn't, tell everybody that. The mitochondria is the way you should look at it. It's the software that runs the hardware. The hardware is the DNA. Yeah. But it's the software that runs the show. And then remember, the software doesn't work unless you've got a DC electric current that powers the whole system. And that yeah. DC electric current is fundamentally tied to light, water, and magnetism. That's, that's where the story gets really interesting. And um, the same system that's in us is also in plants. They also have a DC electric current. 
Um, so all three kingdoms of life, or I should say all three domains of life, uh, archaea, bacteria, and eukaryotes all run the same way. The difference is, is you have, you know, archaea probably 1.0, bacteria 2.0, we're 3.0, but systems within eukaryotes go all the way from, say, cephalopods. Cephalopods are the first human brain. We, because they innovated about 600 million years ago, which is right at the Cambrian explosion. And then we are human brain 1,150,000. Like we've had that much time to innovate, you know, that tissue system and how it integrates, you know, with other systems and how it controls, you know, energy flow and energy transformation is really the key to understanding modern disease. You know, why, you know, for example, atherosclerosis is always associated with neurodegeneration or for example anybody that tends to have neurodegeneration also has significant osteoporosis um those links you know aren't well known to the people in centralized medicine they kind of always act like wow i didn't know that like i point out i'll give you an example um because i don't know if you know this but i think it's a very interesting cogent point people that have parkinson's disease are much more likely to get melanomas and the reason for that is tied to the melanin problem. You know, everybody knows people with Parkinson's lose melanin in the substantia nigra. But what most people don't know is they also have almost no melanin in their surface because they sucked it all inside and still lost it through destructive process in their brain. Oh. So that's the reason why they have a huge problem. And it's also the reason why people with Parkinson's tend to get really bad hypothyroidism for exactly the same reason why. Because when melanin degrades with with uh, um, low oxygen tensions, it actually can turn into T3 and T4. And I bet you, you remember in medical school, they told you there, even if you take someone's thyroid out, there's extranodal sites that still make yeah. thyroid. Well, it turns out every single cell in the body can make thyroid when it breaks down melanin. The problem is when you break down melanin, you're breaking down a shit ton of thermodynamics. So there's a huge problem with that. And the only way to offset, you know, someone who's had, say, you know, their thyroid removed from medullary carcinoma of the thyroid, they need to live probably inside the 20s. What fucking endocrinologist that you know has ever told anybody with, you know, MEN syndrome one or two, that story? The answer is fucking zero, because none of them know that it's possible. And the reason why it's published in the literature but they don't read. They only read what they learn about in the biochemistry books and the pathology books that they got handed in med school and residency. And after that, you're really, really dependent upon the mentors that you have in residency. You know, I was fortunate. I had some pretty, pretty cool guys that taught me, you know, rock stars that taught me some really unusual things. Mm. You know, Nicholas Bazan is one of those guys at LSU who taught me a lot about the eye. And that's part of the reason why I figured out, you know, a lot of the stuff with the leptin melanocorn pathway. Why? Because I was a neurosurgeon who actually was taught by an MD PhD, some very unique characteristics of the eye. And of course he didn't give me the context of why these things were important, but what happened through my own journey, the way I became decentralized, all of a sudden it began to make sense. And I began to put pieces together. And to me, that was the whole, you know, great thing about being decentralized. I actually felt like a doctor for the first time. Why? Because this is what being a doctor is all about. It's about 
finding new things out and realizing that it doesn't have to be found in a randomized controlled clinical trial, that yeah. the laws of nature are not subject to them. And when the, you realize they're not subject to them, if you can teach your patients how to utilize them to help reverse the disease, it's very, very satisfying mm. to see somebody come back and say, Jack, I'm not taking as much insulin as I used to take. Mm. Jack, I don't need to be on Fosamax anymore because you know what? My bones are stronger. I just had, you know, uh, you know, uh, a study done and it shows that uh, I'm not no longer, you know, plus four on the scan. I'm like, those, those are the things that are really cool that, that I think I could do that stuff when I was in residency. Did I think I'd have the reach that I can affect people when I was in the United States or in El Salvador in Australia, in Canada, in the UK, mm. in Asia. Mm. Most neurosurgeons mm. have an effect that their local zip code. And it turns out when I became decentralized, I'm actually able to help millions of people all over the world just with teaching them the things I know and, and teaching the ability to be a critical thinker. Because to be a critical thinker and have a beginner mindset, that actually is probably one of the key requisites to being decentralized. Dude, I, I wish I wish you were like my lecturer in med school. I wish all the, the med students were learning what you're you're teaching and talking about. But the reality is in med school. Well, Ahmed, you don't, that's what I'm trying to do here in El Salvador. That's what I'm trying to do in El Salvador. I'm, I got invited by the administration. Remember, this is a president down here who fully decentralized finance three and a half years ago. Mm. Now he's interested in the next step. He's interested in decentralizing health, and he asked me to come. So when people tell me, am I pessimistic? No. You know why? Because it, it tells me that I persisted for 20 years when everybody told me I was fucking crazy. And you know what? It took medical tearing of COVID, mm. probably took the Rick Rubin and Uberman podcast that I did to wake people up. Mm. And maybe I wasn't crazy. Maybe you need to listen to this message a little bit more closely and to truly examine what I'm saying for yourself. I don't want, I don't want any MD. I don't want any patient to listen to any podcast or any blog post I write mm. or anything I say, mm. take it as gospel. I want you to challenge me. I want you to do your proof of work. I'm waiting for someone out there to come tell me I'm wrong. I'm open to it because you know what, my friend, that's truly how decentralized science should work. See, when we have consensus in anything, consensus is a pseudo-scientific point. That's what we have in climate science. That's what we had in COVID. See, what decentralized science is all about, it's about two guys in a room at a medical meeting telling each other you're a fucking idiot and them arguing about it on stage, maybe without cursing. But that's what it's supposed to be, and that's not what it is anymore. Now it's no. about the guy who's your buddy who's running a journal. And if you're not friends with him or he doesn't like what you say because his lab is supported by, I don't know, AstraZeneca. No, no, we can't put that in the journal because it's going to piss off the guys that are paying my freight and paying my salary. So yeah. That's not decentralized science. That's how centralized science is done. And what happens with centralized science? We create silos and the silos don't talk to other silos. And therefore, physicians, PhDs, 
have a very myopic view of truly how biology works. And that is the system that most MDs have come through probably since 1950. But Jack, it's not even silos. It's, it's leading to communism where you have group think. You're only allowed to think a certain way. And if you're a dissenter, well, you, you got to remember that. I agree. I agree with you. I'm just going to tell you, these are synonyms of the same problem. I, I mean, yeah. I, I'm fully behind you when you say that. The World Economic Forum, Centralized Medicine, the AMA. I mean, mm. the Royal College of Surgeons. I, dude, I'm with you on that. The point that I'm, I'm trying to say is I don't, I, I'm actually past the point of the synonyms. We've got to call out the bullshit for what it is. Mm. And the best way for us to do that is to go straight to the point source, which is the public, go straight to the point source, which is the politicians that are policymakers that are interested in learning the truth. Because I will tell you, there is a benefit. Uh, this may shock you when I say it. I'm going to tell you there's a huge benefit to COVID. At least 50% of the world got punched in the mouth and now has blood on their lip. And they're going, you know, yeah, I agree. we didn't listen to this Fauci guy or Colin or any of the people in the CDC. Yeah. We probably wouldn't have been led down this path. And you know what? I always tell my members this, that a mistake is never a mistake if you learn the lesson from it. So here's the take home for me. If we learn the lesson, from COVID, especially physicians, and we mm. never allow medical tyranny to happen again, whether it's in your country, my country, or a new country that we decide to go practice in, or even mm. the country that is social media. And we teach people that you need to have an open mind. I mean, there's a point where skepticism even becomes a problem, but you need to always have an open mind. Because I always tell people, it's the mark of an educated mind to take something you fundamentally don't believe, examine it for yourself, and then decide with your own due diligence, your own proof of work, mm. whether it has merit or it doesn't. It's a meritocracy. Proof of work systems are based on meritocracy. That's yeah. true in photosynthesis. It's true in mitochondrial respiration. And it's certainly true in the Bitcoin element. Whew. A lot to unpack there. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I'm glad that COVID has happened in some respects. I think the people behind it have overplayed their hand. They're actually more clever doing things in the shadows. They've exposed themselves. They've said, hello, here we are. And a lot of people are sheep. I hate to use that word, but they are. They're just busy grazing all day and they don't care. They're scared. They want to stick together in their herd. But there's a significant number of us who are saying, this is bullshit. If they've lied about this, what else have they lied about? And this is where, you know, people talk about things like the Great Awakening. This is an opportunity for people to realize what is going on and break out of the system, break out of this matrix that we're in. But I don't have, I don't hold out much hope for med schools and med students. It's indoctrination they're going through. They're not being taught about sunlight. Well, they're I not being... I do. I'm going to tell you, I do. I, I'm, that's where you and I probably disagree. And I'm a little bit, maybe, maybe the reason why we disagree is you're younger than me. I'm a little bit older. Mm. You have to remember when I went through training, we were still altruistic and we were still being taught by PhDs that really told us the truth. I, I will never forget sitting at, at med school, my first year learning biochemistry and a guy named Peter Setlow from Boston. He was a PhD. 
came in and told us, look, I have to teach you this shit about cholesterol. I don't believe any of it, but it's my duty to teach it to you because that's what I was hired to do. <laughs> and when he said that immediately, I was like, okay, <laughs> I like this guy. He's kind of warning me that I'm now getting fed a line of bullshit that I do yep. need to do my homework. And when I went talk to him after class, I said, Dr. Sello, tell me what I need to really know and what I need to read about this. And he's the guy that clued me into the seven country study with Ansel Keys. He said, look, go look, read this study. You'll see the mythology flaws. The number one flaw in it is the latitude of the countries. And, you know, this guy, remember, this is in the 80s. Mm. And I knew that way back before any of this bullshit was popular in the ancestral health community, the carnivore community, or the paleo community. And there, I guess that's the reason why I'm a little bit more optimistic, because you know why? When, when Rick Rubin asked me to go on his podcast and talk to Uberman, the real reason I did it is my nurse, who I know you've dealt with, she talked mm. me into doing it. She goes, Jack, COVID is the perfect opportunity for you to get this message out. She goes, you can teach Uberman that when he's in Stanford teaching the medical students that there is another gear that they need to learn. And he goes, you're the perfect guy to go in there and do this. She goes, because you know so much about light, water, magnetism. All you need to do is tickle his fancy a little bit to get him curious because she said most scientists, even if they're bought and paid for, mm. she goes, if they know that you know something they don't know, they get really interested. They want to know what it is that they've missed. Mm. So, you know, with her challenge, I decided to do it against, you know, my gut. And I have to tell you, you know, that was what, four months ago. And ever since that interview, like everybody isn't everybody in creation wants to come out and talk to me. And I kind of chuckle at it because, dude, I've been given the same message for 20 years. It's about light water magnetism. It's about mitochondrial DNA. And for people to react the way they're reacting now, that tells me why I'm optimistic. That's the reason I bring this story up to you. I, hope I so. think there's a whole new generation of people out there, probably your age, that are looking at me as a boomer with, you know, gray hair and at the end of my career, but I'm fucking passionate about the truth. I'm passionate about being curious. I'm passionate about fixing the mistakes that I saw in my 35 you know, year medical career. And I'm not done yet. I'm, I'm fucking still warming up, dude. I'm dude, not I'm, done. I'm not, I'm not uh, that young. I'm not that young. I'm 48. I'm 48. Listen, <laughs> let's go back to well, that's fucking young compared to me. <laughs> you're looking good so let's talk about light water magnetism start with magnetism so i'm hearing a lot of people talking about bioresonance frequency and this and that and people are talking uh, talking about you know modulating frequencies electromagnetic frequencies i mean is there is there truth in this is that some form of medical treatment equally oh, yeah people saying oh, no, that there's, oh there's truth five, in it but yeah this, I'm just going to say, there's truth in it, but what you just said, that's all the bullshit that the snake oil, a snake oil salesmen are selling people yeah. about it. So let's start, let's start with the basics when it comes to magnetism. Please. There's two parts of magnetism that quantum biologists need to understand. The low end of the spectrum is magnetic. Where does that come from? The Schumann resonance, okay? Schumann resonance uh, acts at about 7.83 hertz. Let's talk about how the Schumann resonance works. 
The sun is a cathode ray. The cathode ray comes, hits the magnetosphere of the Earth. The mm. magnetosphere of the Earth absorbs the power and energy in the solar uh, wind. It mm -hmm. distributes it all over the globe. Mm -hmm. At the northern and southern hemispheres, you see the aurora. That's mm -hmm. the evidence of excited electrons and protons. Mm -hmm. In the equatorial areas, or what I call 40 latitudes below, yeah. those, that energy gets discharged as lightning down to the ground. That lightning down to the ground is what creates the Schumann resonance. So the magnetic field of the Earth effectively creates the Schumann resonance in the ionosphere. Stop the, the science discussion for a minute. Let's give you a, a normal thing to think about. Now, what is the Schumann resonance if you're a guitar? Schumann resonance is when you strum the strings, it's the sound that comes out of the guitar body. Mm. And that sound is actually tied to the alpha wave in your thalamus. The alpha wave in your thalamus also resonates at 7.83 hertz. So the alpha wave is the beginning story of how circadian biology works. Now, Ahmad, here's the real interesting part. Mm -hmm. Everything alive has an alpha wave. So you begin to realize when you use the word always and never, that's when you as a biologist have to go, okay, my bullshit meter's high, yeah. but I want you to fact check this. Everything mm. alive has it. And believe it or not, even most centralized books tell you what I just told you is true. Most people, though, don't know how it works. And it turns out that the Schumann resonance works on harmonics. How do harmonics work? If you double 7.83 hertz, and then you double it again, and you double it again, that's a harmonic, the first, the second, and third generation. The Schumann and the thalamus will still work. Your brain can still function when it's on a harmonic. When the Schumann resonance is not uh, in a harmonic of 7.83 hertz, guess what? Neurologic function and cognitive ability declines. Now, does light pollution, electromagnetic radiation, the things that you were getting ready to ask me about, 1G through 5G, does that yeah. fuck all this up? The answer is it yeah. does. So the snake oil salesmen are partially right, but they have no fucking clue about why they're right because they can't explain to you what I just explained mm. to you. They have no fucking earthly idea yeah. how it works. Now, the second part of magnetism that you need to get is... I, yeah. I, I kind of already told you, every single free radical that has an unpaired electron has an EPR signal. What, what is an EPR signal? It's a machine that we use to check this out. So anything that's paramagnetic is magnetic. That means every free radical that you ever learned about in medical school, let's talk about mm -hmm. the biggies, uh, uh, superoxide dismutase, uh, hydrogen peroxide, yeah. um, the hydroxyl free radical. Nitric oxide, okay? All of those things, hydrogen sulfide. Um, I'm trying to throw all the ones I can think off the top of my head. Those are all paramagnetic. But what's the big one? What's the big one that very few people talk about? In fact, I got thrown out of a conference in 2014 for talking about it. Oxygen. Deuterium? Oxygen, oh, oxygen is the only... It's oxygen. Oxygen yeah. is the only paramagnetic gas on the periodic table. So why don't you take a guess why life got complex using oxygen? Because it turned out that the spinning FO head on the mitochondria, you know, which, you know, the country that you live in, that guy, Michael Faraday in the 1850s said, when you put 
electric current into something that spins, you induce yeah. a magnetic field. Now, when I was in medical school, we couldn't prove this, but now we have meg machines that we can prove there's a magnetosphere any place we have mitochondria. So that's in humans, our brain and our heart. And the one in our heart can be measured 22 feet outside of our heart. So that magnetic field is coming from the spinning FO head as electron chain transport operates. And what is the ultimate effect of that? That magnetic field is what draws oxygen to it. I guarantee you, you never learned that physiology, but it's never. actually true. And you can go, right, you can go fact check that as well. Um, another magnetic so, effect from UV light, so, when UV so light hits, hits red blood cells. So hold on one second, hold on one second. Go back, go back, go back, go back. Mitochondria are in every cell in the body. And you talk about the heart and the brain. No, and you talk it's not in it's not in red blood cells. It's the yes. only member. Yeah. You yeah, learn yeah, yeah, this, so. I'm taking you back. Yeah, yeah. See, look yeah, at yeah. why you're an orthopedic surgeon, I'm a neurosurgeon. <laughs> no, no, I, I I know that. I know. <laughs> I, I I meant liver, brain, you know, all the tissues. I I, I, I know it's not in the in the red blood cells. But and you said in the heart you get this magnetosphere. How many feet? I thought it was eight feet. Is it a lot more than that? 22. No, 20, 22 feet. Latest data, latest data out there with the new meg machine. We can measure it with a meg machine. So just, just quickly, I want to ask you something. You know, like, this sounds a bit weird, and call me a quack. When I'm in person with people, I love face-to-face -face meetings because I genuinely get I like to look people in the eye and judge them and feel them, and I feel their energy. I can feel when someone's negative. I can feel when someone's like just toxic. I can feel when someone's warm. And is this the kind of energy that we're talking about? Or is this something completely do lally that I'm, I'm on about? Well, no, that's one of the energies. There's another energy that uh, if you've never read the book uh, by Roland Van Wook, it's called Life Sculpting Life. A biophysicist in the 1960s named Fritz Pop proved that every single cell releases ultra weak UV biophotons. The real feeling that you capture when you talk to people, yeah. you're actually sampling their extreme low frequency UV light. You're also picking up their magnetic footprint. I don't want you to think you're not because it's really operational during sex. Um, and that's the part of the reason why uh, we tend to be so close together. You want that other person in your field because you're sampling, you know, the energy. And remember, UV light and magnetism, they're both light. The only difference with magnetism, it's the electric field removed and the magnetic field present. They work at their orthogonal to each other, 90 degree angles. But biology uses magnetic fields in many different ways. I don't, I don't want to tell you that it's, uh, you know, one or two that I'm going to give you examples. Of. I'm just, you know, we're in a podcast. We have a limited amount of time. But. Um, believe it or not, Bird, when birds migrating, proteins, they make, birds migrating. I mean, how do they do it? I mean, is that going to be on, on magnetic fields? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm talking. I mean, yeah. there's clearly yeah, something happening. Yeah, it's magnetoreception. We know that from the Klitschko's paper in the 1970s. Mm. It's now been verified and proven by peer-reviewed science. In fact, one of your countrymates, Jim L. Khalili, has written about it in a book. Um, there's no question about it. It's about free radical pairs that's measured by cryptocombs in their eye. Wow. Um, but there's so many more processes that work like this. Red blood cells work like this. UV light demagnetizes red blood cells. What effectively does it do? Changes the oxidation state of hemoglobin. And I remember when you're in medical school, you learn about 
the oxy and deoxy hemoglobin curves. You probably never learn that UV light exposure on a porphyrin, which has the optical absorption density of 200 to 600 nanometer light with a sharp cutoff. Basically, red blood cells are an infrared A and UV detector. They're a wireless dish that connects you from the sun to your mitochondria. That's effectively what they do. Wow. But UV light demagnetizes our red blood cells so that we drop off oxygen at mitochondria and we pick up CO2, which is another free radical, along with carbon monoxide. And this whole system is completely yoked together. That we are a giant electromagnetic field that has a very specific organization. And it turns out the organization of cells, the organization of tissues, the organization um, that you really don't learn. You know, one of the big problems with biochemistry is when Linus Pauling and Albert St. Georgie innovated, you know, the Krebs cycle. They basically took cells, homogenated them, subtracted out the water to look at the molecules. And out of both guys, both of those guys were smart enough to realize, look, this is the way we have to learn about the chemicals, but these chemicals don't work without water. And yet today, modern biochemists still don't realize that. And they have no earthy idea that the function of water is to be an electromagnetic capacitor, a battery to absorb light, and that light is stored in the water. And that's what actually determines the phenotypic uh, ability of the protein. It also controls the tertiary and quaternary bends in proteins. You know, most people forget from medical school, there's four bends in a protein. And hemoglobin is one of those proteins. The first two bends are controlled by the DNA code. The third bend and the fourth bend are controlled by the redox state of the red blood cell as it travels around your body. And that red blood cell sees different electromagnetic fields, you know, when it's deoxygenated or oxygenated or when it's at the surface and, and being radiated by sunlight or not by sunlight, maybe by blue light. And people don't realize that you can be made hypoxic if you live in an environment that's just loaded with blue light. And that effect in the mitochondria is seen by having NAD positive drop. And that's the exact same effect that we see in heteroplasmy rates that Doug Wallace is talking about in people that age. So it's not a stretch for someone to tell you that when you live a blue light world or you live at a high latitude, you're going to age at a faster rate than you will at an equatorial environment because the flip side is true in an equatorial environment, which is why I'm here as an old guy. UV light increases your saturation of oxygen on your venous side. So that means that you have more oxygenation in your tissue to feed your mitochondria what they need. Because what's the terminal electron acceptor of mitochondria? It's, it's fucking oxygen. That's how, that's why we breathe. That's how it works. But the process, the fundamental process mm. is not biochemical. It's electromagnetic. And that's what people in centralized medicine and medical schools never get told. Um, and when I learned this stuff 15 or 20 years ago, I was like, well, how many more things work in us in manners via mechanisms that I didn't learn? That's when I realized I had to jump down a rabbit hole to learn biophysics. I had to learn a lot more about electrons and protons because I realized in the input of mitochondria, there's no carbohydrate, protein, or fat you know, input. The input is electron chain transport. And the FO head spits out protons. I'm like, well, okay, Jack, how much do you know about electrons and protons? And how much do you know about these cytochrome proteins? And 
how they work. I started looking at absorption spectra of just about every protein that's really important in humans, and I found a very interesting trend. I found the trend was many of them had absorption absorption frequencies in the UV range, and I found out that many of them were paramagnetic. So that caused me to begin to hack the periodic table of elements. Then I found out even something more amazing, that wow. almost all the atoms that are used in our cells, you know, have wide band gap semiconductive abilities. And I remember what I learned from Albert St. Georgie, that he felt that proteins all had the same type of electronic ability that a semiconductor had. I never forgot that. Then I reread a book when I was in residency that my, my program director asked me to read to do a report on bone healing because I was interested in spine surgery. And it was Robert Becker's book on the electric body. And Dr. Klein told me to read it because he said this guy found some interesting things in the 1960s that said bone actually doesn't heal. It actually completely regenerates from red blood cells. He goes, I don't know a lot about it. He goes, but I, I was at a lot of his talks and I found them interesting. He's an orthopedic surgeon in Syracuse, New York. So when I was a resident, I actually went up and visited him. I wow. actually went to go visit Becker after reading his papers. And I gave a big dissertation to the residents at LSU about bone regeneration and how it actually happens through PNN semiconductors and all of his experiments uh, and how it worked, that collagen was the N-type semiconductor and appetite was the P-type semiconductor and that bone effectively was an LED diode that released a uh, bone red light. And I when I say bone, it's like maroon to red light. And that the reason that orthopedic surgeons or, or we, when we did spine surgery, never saw the light is because the light optic was contained in the system because it was run by nonlinear optics. That's the reason we never see the light. It's completely contained in the system. And I learned that literally. Wow, is, fuck, that was 1984, 80, no, sorry. It's just, it was a long time ago. Let's put it that way. And that's the kind of stuff, those facts always stuck in my head until I had my own epiphany in around 2003 to 2005 when I really began putting all this stuff together. So. We're going to come to that. You know, going back to the magnetism, how do we how do we make sure we keep our magnetism as healthy as possible? Is it literally keeping this goddamn phone away from us? Is it well, turning off the Wi-Fi? You can't, you can't. You can't do as good a job as I can. The difference is you're at the 51st latitude and I'm at the 13th. I mean, I was just up where you were. I don't know if you know that. I just no, did no. A, a tour of uh, Scotland, uh, Iceland, and Norway. I was up at the 69th latitude between 59th and 69th for two weeks to talk to a bunch of people up there. And, you know, I was up there when it was light 24 hours a day. Uh, and I realized just being up there, I said, this is just not a place that really people can do well long term. Dude, hold on, hold on one, hold on one sec. Uh, hold, on sec. hold on one second. So, despite my color, you need to know I was actually born in Scotland. I spent twenty six years there. Well, I could tell from your accent a little bit. All right, I could tell, I could tell by your accent. All right, but so well, this is the I would tell this you is, though. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. Could, I'm just going to tell you what you need. To do. Yeah, you need to. You need to do this. You need to listen 
to uh, a very interesting podcast. It's pretty old now, but a guy named Richard Weller, he's a dermatologist at the University of Edinburgh. Mm. He's the only dermatologist that I know of that has come out and told the truth. He said, look, we need to get people more light. The reason why people in Edinburgh are dying of heart disease quicker is mm. because the light here is so poor because we can't make enough nitric oxide you know, mm. from UVA and infrared A light because we don't have good sun. Mm. His podcast, I should say the TED Talk, was highly controversial. But he's the one dermatologist that came out and told the world the truth. So I'm going to tell you there's people out there even – at the high latitudes. Why? Because look, the disease metrics are different. The higher you go up, the, the <laughs> one outlier, the one thing that is different, uh, and this is the reason why I'm interested in, in high latitude living, the Vikings and the people in Iceland and the, their descendants, the people that are in Norway and parts of Scotland, um, they have a very interesting ability to actually live pretty long. And I think the reason for that is their biology as uncoupled haplotypes is able to deal with volcanism really good. In other words, I think they're able to do things with magnetic fields that people with more tightly coupled haplotypes cannot do. And I think that's the reason why the people in Iceland are very long lived. The interesting thing is people who live in Denmark who are real, real tall, they tend to die quicker. So when you look across the whole high latitude, and what I consider high latitude is 40 and above, um, there is a stratification. And that stratification goes all the way back to the story of the Neanderthals. And I don't know if you know that much about the evolutionary story of them, but they had 125 grams more brain tissue than us. No, you I know that, that from their skull case. But the other thing that they had that was very interesting, mm. their eyes were also 15% bigger than ours. Mm. So they're able to get more light in. But the reason they're called Neanderthals is because their bones have never been found above the 51st latitude. And the Valley of Neanderthal is in Germany, and that's where they were found. Mm. And if you think about this, uh, when they got to that level and things got really cold, they started to wear animal skins. We know that from their history. But then they began to live in caves and put drawings on the wall and use fire. Fire was the first artificial light. What mm. happened to Neanderthals? They went extinct and Homo sapiens took over, who have 125 grams less tissue. I believe the reason for that, uh, fundamentally, especially right here in the frontal lobes, is because thermodynamically you cannot support extra brain tissue at a high latitude. So when you think about the evolutionary case that I'm making to you right now, do I think Homo sapiens, who have figured out how to live to 80 years old without, you know, a lot of Neolithic disease, have optimized in some way that we don't realize yet? I believe that the people in Iceland, the people who have Viking heritage, they are magnetic freaks. And that's bound because most of those people come from an island that is 100% volcanic and 93% of the water there is also groundwater that is pristine. Uh, it's also deuterium depleted. That's another issue that's you know tied to the physics because of atomic mass and e equals mc squared. So I'm very, very interested in Scandinavian people and why they can do the things they do. But that effect 
is lost just about everybody everywhere else in northern Europe, and it really changes. In fact, the country you are in, it changes uh, when you get truly down to the Scottish people. Like in Edinburgh, you know, anything up to uh, those little islands up there where Kirkwall is, those are basically mm. all Norwegian people. We there was a king up there that fucking <clears throat> stole that for a dowry, but those people are really Norwegian by heritage and they're Icelandic. Everybody in Edinburgh down is really Germanic and English, and they have different haplotypes. And they're not really, because, yeah, you know, the UK is not uh, of uh, current, it's not been a magnetic volcanic center for a really, really long time. Mm. Uh, but Norway, Sweden, and Iceland have. You know, the North Sea is the only thing that separates them. And the people that sit right in the middle are also interesting in the Faroe Islands because they also have a lot of these same abilities. So I've always been fascinated by these people because I think there's lessons there for us to still learn that you can survive at high latitudes, but you have to do extraordinary things such as being outside skiing. You also have to be connected to the earth. And this is the reason why geothermal pools up there are such a big part of their culture. And I don't believe that many people that are high latitude livers up there understand that this is how it happens. Mm. You know what? I can just tell you 26 years being born and brought up in Glasgow is fucking depressing. It was gray and miserable. It was cold. We were told to cover up, stay indoors. You know, when I when I went and did a fellowship in Sydney, it was amazing. Outdoors all the freaking time in the sun. Even when I came out to New York, Mount Sinai, it was sunny. It was hot. And, um, you know, I just felt so much better. So there's definitely, that's you know, right. just, just so you know, that's, that's where I was born. Outside of high school. Wow. So, you know, going back to that magnetism, you know, is that part of what people talk about when they say grounding is really important to walk barefoot, connect with the earth? You know, is that, is that? It is. Well, I'll tell you why grounding is important biophysically. We are the only silly talking primate that has ecrine sweat glands on our feet and hands. The reason why? We have them and other primates don't it's because they live in trees, but we're designed to be bipedal crossing the tectonic plates. Mm. Anytime you have sweat glands on your feet, it allows for a better connection. Remember I told you the story about the sun being a cathode ray, the planet's yeah. an anode. Anytime yeah. a cathode ray hits an anode, what happens? Free electrons are given off at the surface. That's how sophisticated biology is. So grounding has a huge effect. Then I'm going to tell you a bigger story that you'll like because it's about here and where I just was, you know, which is where you were. Mm. The effect of grounding is much different in a volcanic area than it is in a non-volcanic area. So here in El Salvador, a couple of weeks ago, when I first got here from being up where you were, we mm -hmm. had a huge lightning storm. The lightning here never hits the lava tubes or the black sand beach. Do you know the reason why? Because the volcano puts so many net negative charges in the stone and in the sand, it hits the water. Where wow. you live, it tends to always hit the land. And this is an electrical phenomenon, and it has to do with the charge that comes from the magnetosphere, the aurora. Because remember, at this latitude, there is no aurora. The electrical mm. discharge is the lightning. But where the lightning hits tells you that this place is a better place to ground than, say, Glasgow, because Glasgow is not volcanic. And no. um, there, 
you have to go even further north to really get the aurora. But the aurora effect is in most of Norway, most of Sweden, most of Finland, and all of Iceland. Yeah. Um, and that effect is real. I will tell you that um, the grounding effect in places that have huge net negative charge, that means it's not a geopathic stress zone. So let's get the English correct. You live in a desert. Like Sydney is a desert, okay? All yeah. of Australia is a desert <laughs> in the ocean. Yeah. It's a terrible place to ground for that reason. Sedona in Arizona, the whole Sonoran Desert, terrible. Sahara Desert, terrible. It's a geopathic stress zone. Hence the reason why things don't live there. Scale this to a bigger idea. This is the reason why Mars is a dead red planet, because it's a giant desert. It has no magnetic field. See, any place that has a magnetic field is going to have a lot of net negative charge in its rocks. This is a place that living things want to be. So if mm. I showed you the lava tube that's right up here to my right, it mm. is covered with trees. It's covered with photosynthetic life everywhere that's creating oxygen. Wow. Uh, when you go walk on the beach here with your feet in the ground, you're getting huge amounts of free electrons. And that formed the basis of my leptin prescription. Why? Because what did I tell you food was in the beginning? It's an electromagnetic barcode. We break food down to electrons and protons. So if you're able to get more free electrons from the ecrine sweat glands from grounding, that means the less food you'll eat. The corollary to that is if you go to a, a waterfall, you have something called the Lennard effect. When water falls into a pool, doesn't matter where it is, it creates something called the Lennard effect. And in the air that's above, the waterfall, you have net negative ions. It's equivalent to the sodium chloride, you know, things that we put in people's vents when they're in the ICU. It's exactly mm. the same effect, except this is the reason why humans are drawn to waterfalls. So when you put all these together, remember in volcanic places, what do they always have? Waterfalls. You go on my Instagram page, you'll see I was just in a waterfall that was 8,000 feet two days ago. And wow. everybody was exhilarated. The water, even at the 13th latitude, this water was pumped up by geothermal heating and then pumped out of the mountain. This water is 50 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, for you, that's, I don't know, like 50 degrees is probably like four or five degrees C. Mm. And we were in that water, you know, for hours on end. The pool at the top of the mountain was there, plus the temperature, the difference between the temperature at the top of this mountain in El Salvador on the bottom was 25 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. It was 70 degrees at the top and 95 at the bottom. So that's like 42 C to, you know, 30 C. The difference, and you didn't even need air conditioning at the top, but here's the thing. You're at the same latitude, and because you're at altitude, that means you're even getting more UV light while it's cooler. So this cooling effect, at altitude has a huge effect. And the people like in Europe that get this effect are the people live in the Swiss Alps, the people that live in Iceland, the people that live in Norway. But see, the UK is relatively flat. It doesn't have that effect. The same thing is true in Ireland. Um, and you don't get those big effects. And that's part of the reason why when I talk to people who are not sophisticated about the physics and about the biophysics, they always think, oh, it's just about the latitude or the zip code, and it's not. There's a lot of other nuance in there that explain why different people have different outcomes. The reason why the Finnish are getting type 1 diabetes at record rates, like the Indians are in the Indian continent, the disease is the same, but the reason they're getting it is different. 
Uh, and it's also the same reason why, you know, people in the UK are getting more autoimmunity and um, electro hypersensitivity, where in the United States, we're getting more fat acids. Um, there's reasons for that. And that reason is tied to how the electromagnetic environment of our zip code translates and changes the physics in us and how it talks to our mitochondria and then what the phenotype of the disease shows up. And this is so counterintuitive for centralized medicine to understand. You know, you know what you learned. I don't have to recapitulate with you what you learned. You know what you know, and I know what you know. I'm trying to get you to see another side of biology to explain it to you cogently so that you're you doing, can say you're doing, you're doing this a great job. is beginning to make some sense. You're doing a great job. Listen, I was taught fucking nothing in med school. I'm telling you right now. I was taught anatomy, basic physiology, disease, drugs. Drugs for disease. I wasn't given a lecture on sleep. I wasn't given a lecture on diet, nutrition, light, stress. I, was, I wasn't taught any of this stuff. It was just like, here's the I heart. Was, I was, I was here's taught anatomy. That stuff. I'm I wasn't. I wasn't taught any of that I stuff. I was taught that give... stuff, but I wasn't given. I wasn't given a ton of it. The things that I probably came out of medical school the most concerned about mm. was probably the endocrine system. I didn't feel like I learned enough about that, and certainly the circadian system. Like I did know about the SCN, but when I constantly ask people questions about how the fuck does this thing work, I never got the answers that I really wanted. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't get the answers even when I became a neurosurgeon and I was supposed to be an expert in all parts of the brain, which the SCN is part of. And I still didn't get it. It took me until post-residency to really wake up to what was truly going on. Can you, can you do me a favor? Can you not talk about water? So how does this, you talked about magnetism, water, and light. So people talk about lots of different types of water here. They're talking about, I don't know what kind of water. There's a, a vogue nowadays in health people. Forget about, for, forget about the types of water. Forget about yeah. the types of water. That's not so where you start. Exactly. Forget about water you need to know. Make it simple. Apple and Microsoft. What water does is allow Apple to talk to Microsoft. So what is it? It's a transformer. In other words, it allows disparate systems to talk to each other. So, for example, it allows light to talk to magnetism. It allows light to talk to sound. It allows light to communicate with smell. Water is an electromagnetic capacitor of light. That's what it does. Wow. It buries light. What's the proof, What's the proof in the pudding? Uh, one thing that everybody who's a doctor learns in basic physics to get to medical school is... Um, Water has huge specific heat capacity. What does that mean? We can put huge amounts of energy into it, and it takes forever to raise water a degree of temperature. Mm. That ultimately should have told everybody that that's one of water's superpowers. Now, the other superpower, what makes water not just a transformer, water changes its physical structure when light hits it. That's a really interesting change of events like most people who go through regular life and medical school and are doctors always believe that water is h2o turns out in us that's not true metabolic water that's made into mitochondria is deuterium depleted and it has a completely different 
um, uh, crystalline structure. And that I didn't crystalline know this. structure is there. Oh, yeah. It's there because there's no deuterium in the water. But the water we drink, you know, the water behind me right now in the Pacific Ocean, that water has 155 parts of deuterium in it, you know, per unit. In us, our mitochondria, it's zero. In our blood, our blood mimics what's in the in the ocean. It's 155 parts. The blood's reason for that is different than what's going on in the mitochondria. It has to do with the physics. And water, because it changes its ability, what's the main reason water does this from a physics standpoint? Uh, water changes its hydrogen bonding network so that it can absorb more light. How does it do it? When hydrogen bonds change, it allows more electrons to show up. So when you hear me write or talk or I'm in other podcasts, I'll mention to you that water has coherent domains. When water becomes quantum coherent, it's because light is hidden. That means that that water has more electrons in it. Who should you immediately think of after that? Einstein. Why? He won his Nobel Prize for the photoelectric effect. You cannot absorb light without electrons. That's axiomatically true. So when light hits water, what is water doing? It's creating more electrons so that you can absorb more light, hence the reason why it's an electromagnetic capacitor. Okay? One story builds upon the other. So once you understand those three effects of water, then you need to realize what else do you know as an orthopedic surgeon about water that's special? Every time you hang IV fluid, probably the most common IV fluid you hang is sodium chloride, 0.9% solution, just like mm. I do. Have you ever asked the question, why do we use sodium chloride? Why is sodium such a big part of the extracellular matrix? Well, it turns out sodium chloride allows water to absorb more UV light. So what does that tell you? Okay, wait a minute. Now the cell has a mechanism in it via water to absorb more UV light. Not not, not the same story that dermatologists and ophthalmologists told you that the sun is toxic and you should stay fucking out of it. Actually, mm. biology is telling you something radically different. That yeah. Because we use sodium chloride, salt allows you to absorb more UV light in the blood. And you know that blood is 93% water. That's when you start to ask a question. What else fucking wasn't I told? And then you start looking at, for example, the aromatic amino acids. In us, all of them have absorption spectrums that are in the deep UV range. And you go, why in the hell would Mother Nature take aromatic amino acids that absorb between 200 and 400 nanometer light? And that's not even light that's in the sun. You start going, is it possible that maybe there's a process in our body where we make light stronger than the sun to run our biology? And what you're going to find out, that's exactly what Fritz Pop. Found. And that explains why cholesterol and leptin have absorption spectrums that are 220 nanometer light. That is below what the sun provides. So you've got to start asking your question, okay, this is getting more and more interesting. And you just keep going down this rabbit hole and you'll find that the more questions you come up with, the better questions you start asking. And all of a sudden, you can see yourself tearing your own paradigm down that you learned in medical school. You begin to realize that physiology really begins with light, water, and magnetism. Water is, there. there is no life on this planet without water. 
And that's another reason why Mars is a dead red desert, because the only water that's there is at the poles, frozen. It's not all around the planet. And places that do have water, they may have an opportunity for light, but this is why SETI, who's part of NASA in the United States, always looks for the three metrics, light, water, and magnetism. And that ties back to this whole Goldilocks thing about the Earth being the third rock from the sun, that we're in the ideal place, mm. which is pretty much bullshit, to be honest with you. Because if you have the three metrics and they're all working in unison, I believe that you actually could go to another planet and see something alive and never even realize that it's alive. Because it's probably working on biology that works on physics that is completely foreign to what we've ever learned on this planet. You know, and you only get this inkling when you begin to realize the electromagnetic basis of life. Uh, if you have the biochemical basis of life and you're a physician, in my opinion, you're ignorant. Now, that may be an arrogant thing to say. That's no. okay. You're allowed I'm, to hate dude, I'm ignorant. for that. Dude, I'm ignorant. I'm ignorant. I'm ignorant. I'm so ignorant. It's unbelievable. The older I get, the more ignorant I am. That's, I that's realize. What, that's, that's what I've become to believe, that I believe that everything about biology is electromagnet, mag, magnetic at its core. And it's our mm. job to figure out what nature is really up to, you know, in her black box. And the only way to do that is to keep perturbing it, keep asking questions, and keep slaying dragons that centralized science puts out in the peer review literature. Jack, Jack, can I ask you something? I mean, basically, what you're confirming is what I've always felt. We are beings of light. We are. But we're, we remember the light cannot operate without the water and cannot operate without the magnetism. And that's the key thing that I want you to understand. This is okay. the mistake that I think the mystics and the spiritual people have made that it's not just a story of light. In, in other words, nature is telling us that her recipes are a multifactorial recipe and mix of how <clears throat> she does things. But what you'll notice every layer of the onion you go through Mm. That there's a fractal geometry, a fractal nature to what she's doing. And you'll see it show up over and over and over again as you descend and ascend the onion. And that's kind of what I tried to explain to Uberman on the podcast when I even brought up, you know, the story about cephalopods. Because, you know, that's the animal that he uses in his lab at Stanford. And I explained to him, I said, Uberman, you know what cephalopods release right and this was after the podcast it wasn't in it so they release melanin 70 percent of ink from an octopus is melanin i said do you realize why you do that that's the flight or fight response i said the exact same thing is in humans in our white blood cells that's the reason why pomsi is right there that's actually how white blood cells know to go after pathogens the only <clears> difference <throat> is you don't see the homology because this animal occurred 600 million years ago and it's still on the planet today. And we are the newest animal, but we have version 1.1 million where we have been able to retool and use that system in more novel ways with more novel physics. And I even mentioned to him, you know, he, I don't know if you know this, but his dad is a condensed matter physicist. And I said, and I said to him, to prove my point to you, I said, just know that melanin right now is being studied, synthetic melanin 
is being studied by the condensed matter physicists because they no longer think quantum computing can happen just on graphene. They're beginning to realize that melanin has an amazing structure that can do it. And what did I tell you earlier in this podcast? Everything in the world that's alive has got melanin in it some degree, some more than others. And it turns out the most complex things tend to use a lot of melanin. But the most interesting part of the story is, do you know that condensed matter physicists still do not know the basic atomic structure of melanin, even in 2023? But yet... wow. The glial cells and the neurons in your uh, in your globus pallidus, where the the substantia nigra are, can make neuromelanin like it's nobody's mom. That's how wise wow. cells and biology are in us. Jack, you've talked about <laughs> magnetism and light and water. How how are these degraded in modern life and damaged? And how can a, a person make sure that they're all optimized so that they can live, you know, well, a healthy life? Modern, how, life how, modern, life, modern life degrades us on the light side. Why? We no longer live under the sun. We live under man-made artificial light. Technology, mm. most people look as progress, but technology has brought us inside. Like, for example, you and I are communicating via the electromagnetic waves through this device, you're inside. It's very late at night for you. For me, it's the middle of the afternoon. I'm outside doing it. I tend to do most of my podcast outside. Sunlight no longer drives our biology. So that's how light gets fucked up. Then mm. we use light to communicate like we're doing now. Light has another effect on mitochondria. It dehydrates us. In other words, we don't make enough water. What people forget about mitochondrial biology is that it reverses the photosynthetic process that we talked about an hour and a half ago. Remember, you take CO2, water, and sunlight, you make sugar. But when you take mm. sugar and you break it down, you make CO2 and water. So it turns out the amount of water you make is reduced when you live in an environment that's loaded with blue light, that's loaded with non-native EMF. So if you make less water, what, is, what does that tell you from what I just told you five minutes ago? That you don't have a big electromagnetic capacitor? You don't, Apple can't talk to Microsoft. So that's what cellular uh, dystrophy is or disharmony or inflammation. That means you have more of a positive charge in the cell, less of a negative charge. That's what redox potential is. That's what inflammation is. These are all synonyms of the same ball game. And then when it comes to magnetism, the way in which it's broke is that if light is broken, water is broken, the free radical signal is altered. In other words, the way the free radical signal is made is from the amount of oxygen delivered to the mitochondria, but also from calcium efflux inside the mitochondria. Well, it turns out that non-native EMF and light control, and when I say control, let me be clear about this. It's quantized, meaning that it's very precise. The amount of calcium, divalent, group two element liberated, that determines how much light is made and how many biophotons are released that mm -hmm. control all the biochemical pathways that you and I learned about in medical school that Fritz Pop realized controls the things that Albert St. Georgie and, and Linus Pauling found. And it turns out that the uh, light, the ambient light we live in is mm -hmm. also electromagnetically yoked to oxygen for the reason I told you before. Why? Because UV light demagnetizes and oxygen is paramagnetic 
and it reacts to the spin rate of the FO head. And when you're in visible light, the spin rate is about 9,000 protons per second. Uh, when you're in blue light, you're probably around 3,500 to 5,000. Uh, wow. So basically, you think about this like, you know, uh, a gear in your car or in your transmission. Yeah. yeah. Or you begin to realize you can't move enough protons. And that means electron chain transport slows. When all that happens, the free radical signal changes. What did we say an hour and a half ago? When the free radical signal changes, it changes the size and shape of proteins in us, changes the tertiary and quaternary bends. Mm. All of a sudden, that changes the phenotype of what's possible in the cell. And then you either get either wellness or you get disease. And the way, in my paradigm, the way I think about this, that health is the slowest form of death you create. And illness is the fastest way to death. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. So let's talk about how to optimize it. Should we all be out in the sun? I mean, is there any point here in the UK where it's gray and cloudy? Is that kind of sunlight better than nothing? Well, I told you there is. There, Yeah, sunlight's always good when you're at high latitudes. But I also told you that there is probably another answer. There, the answer is probably to look to your ancestors that are in Iceland and Dude, my in, in Norway my, and northern Scotland. My, my ancestors aren't there. My ancestors were in India. So I'm totally freaking screwed right. well, from science. Then, then, <laughs> then you need to think about you need to think about things a little bit differently. Remember, the DIY of mitochondrial medicine or decentralized medicine is you came into this world with a haplotype you got from your mom. Realize that that haplotype is, is organized and works best at a certain zip code. You should try to mimic that. That's probably the smartest thing for you to do. Not everybody knows what their haplotype is, but you can tell from the Indian continent, you're probably best in a subtropical or tropical zone. Why? Because that's where India came from. It came through the Southern Ocean, crashed in to uh, Asia, and made the Himalaya Mountains. The bottom part of India right now is about the 20th latitude. But your clan, so to speak, they're likely from, they're innovated f- inside the tropics. Yeah, they're from the, the Himalayas. They're from like... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that, area, that area is where the Sherpas are. And the Sherpas have humongous effects because they're also getting magnetic flux from the collapse. But they're also pushed up at al- altitude. Mm. They're closest to the sun. Even though they're high latitude, they're also very dark people because of the effect of UV light on the POMC gene to make alpha MSH. So they have huge adaptations, you know, they'll allow them to be superhuman. That's why they can do certain things that, you know, Northern Europeans and Americans can't do. And again, it goes to that story that I was telling you about the Vikings, that within a pocket, you're going to see big effects. So to answer your question accurately, it's not going to probably make you happy or your audience happy. It turns out that mitochondrial medicine tells you that there's an N equals one for everybody. And your job, if you choose to accept it, to figure out the recipe that's best for you via light water magnetism is actually to figure out that recipe. The only way you're going to figure out is through the science that I'm sharing with you today. Whew. Okay. Okay. I I think I've got a lot of reading to do. <laughs> You've opened my eyes to a lot of things, of my, friend. Do, my friend. 
So well, but that's a good about, thing. I mean, I always tell people, put Windex on your glass eye, and you'll be happy. It sucks. You got to embrace the suck in the beginning. But if you're willing to embrace the suck and get your beginner's mindset, dude, you're going to be such a better doctor than you could ever yeah, imagine. 100%. Because ultimately, you're going to realize when your patients come and sit in front of you, you're going to be able to tell them the truth instead of giving some bullshit lie from Pfizer. 100%. I mean, the one thing I know is every day that I get older, the more I realize I don't know anything at all. And since I started this podcast 10 weeks ago, that's just been accelerated to the point where every hour I realize how little I know. Um, and it's it's sometimes difficult. And I think it's very difficult for not just me, but, you know, just the average Joe blog. We're not all blessed with your intelligence and inquisitive analytical mind because you are a genius, Jack, whether you like it or not. That's that's true. Not everyone is like you. And there's so much noise, you know, and so much conflicting advice from influencers and, you know, podcasts. And it's trying like, to I'm sort... I, mm. I want to tell you, I'm going re to reject that. I'm going to tell you the reason why. I actually think <laughs> that everybody has genius in them. And I'm going to tell you that the problem is... is deep is the down genius in, in has me. been schooled out of us. Yeah. But, but I think the genius has been schooled out of us because we're not connected to nature anymore. And I fundamentally believe that anybody can do what I did if they're willing to jump down the rabbit hole to see truly how they do in different environments uh, and then begin to realize, wow, you know, this little change made such a huge difference to me. And when they also realize, well, changing my diet, say from a vegan diet to a carnivore diet, it gave me good effects, but it didn't fix all the problems that I thought it was going to fix or what the gurus that are selling me their books on the internet mm, mm, are trying to tell me. And mm. I really believe that the more you jump down nature and the more you decentralize your thinking, your biology and your finance, uh, I'm going to tell you, Ahmad, I think you can hit the target that is genius in you. Uh, that's great. Thanks. Um, at least there's one person who has faith in me. <laughs> Jack, you talked about Bitcoin. So I'll be honest with you, I don't have Bitcoin. And I've just been nervous about it because you don't know whether it's a scam, whether it's legit or real and all this crypto business no, nonsense that's going on. The, fiat is the scam. The, the UK fiat. pound is the scam. You should have learned that, what, about eight months ago when there was a, almost a huge collapse in the Bank of England. Jack, I know the fiat system the is a scam. I, I'm on that. I, I was on that after Bitcoin, 2001. Bitcoin's not a scam. Bitcoin's so, not a scam. Just remember, 13 years ago, it was one penny. One penny. Today, it's $30,000 a coin. It's the best performing asset in the last 13 years. And here's why it's not a scam. It's scarce and central banks and man can't change the code. It's axiomatically going to remain that way. The only way to change it is to have consensus of everybody in there. And I got news to you, dude. Trying to get Bitcoiners on consensus on anything is like fucking herding cats. It's like being doctors. Um, so it so is Jack, the best gig. Okay, well, this is great hearing this from you. And, you know, and I've had a few friends tell me that it's the real deal including this um, radiologist doctor out in California. 
it keeps telling me to invest in Bitcoin. I think the problem that I've always had is one, I don't actually understand where it came from. Who is the, the chap, that Japanese sounding name? So, where Satoshi is he now? That, that's it. Where he's is a, he's this the person? ultimate biologist. He's the ultimate circadian biologist. Where is he? What, Who is he? Pseudonymous. You know why? He's got to stay out of the, the sights of uh, the CCP and the CIA. Because if he was alive, he'd face the same same uh, effect of JFK. He'd die of acute lead toxicity from a bullet. Yeah. You know yeah, why? Yeah. Because he's blowing up the paradigm that supports the industrial military complex everywhere in the world. That's yeah. what Bitcoin fundamentally does. It's, it's a method of turning freedom back to people. If you think that that's a bad message, if you think that that's a scam, dude, that's a bigger fuck in your head than all this shit about biology we just talked about. This is the no. easiest thing in the world to understand. It is, it is about creating scarcity and lowering inflation over time. Big, I should say fiat money does exactly the opposite. They yeah. rehypothecate and create more money, and they inflate it so you have less. So effectively, yes. what is inflation? It's fucking taxation without passing a law. That's what's going on right now in the UK. And you're fucking telling me Bitcoin's a scam? Dude, no, no, no. I'm you saying you got to put some I'm... fucking Windex on your glass eyes. <laughs> Jack, Jack. I'm saying that basically I hear so many conflicting things. And, you know, I interviewed a banker recently Stop and he was like, oh, idiots. Stop I, listening I, to idiots. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just telling you the noise out there. Right. So I've got people telling me how it's amazing. I've got people telling me how it's terrible and it's controlled by read the CIA. Some, book, some books about Bitcoin. I think that's, I, the I thing. would tell you, read, um, I think you need to read the book, uh, by Jan, Pritz, Ron, Jan Pritzker. It's given out by a company in the United States for free. It's called, uh, by Swan. Bitcoin, I think it's called uh, Bitcoin Now or Why Bitcoin. It's only 100 pages. You read that, it's like the third grade uh, Bible of Bitcoin. If you want to graduate to big boy pants, uh, Bitcoin Standard by Safety and Amos. Uh, another one that I like is written by one of my friends, uh, Jason Williams, who owns billions of dollars of Bitcoin. He actually takes tires, turns the tires into energy, and mines Bitcoin. That's how he became a billionaire. Brilliant guy. He reverses photosynthesis to make fucking Bitcoin. Uh, here in El Salvador, we use volcanic energy to make Bitcoin. Uh, but the name of his book is Hard Money You Can't Fuck With. And that really is the title of the book. Very easy book for you to get Bitcoin. And then the, the last thing I would tell you is download the app on your phone called mm -hmm. Clubhouse and get on there and join Bitcoin Cafe. And meet all my friends in there are Bitcoin Maxis. They're just like me. Uh, like most people think I'm an asshole on Twitter when it comes to biology. Well, I'm a bigger asshole about Bitcoin. Why? Because Bitcoin's the only game in town. If you own a stock, a bond, fiat money, you own gold, silver, you already announced to me your ignorance. And I am going to teach you why that's a bad thing. Just remember, I, now I'm in a country that rejects all shit coins rejects everything but Bitcoin. It still uses American money, but the reason why it's got a hedge now is because legal tender is both American money and Bitcoin. So people in El Salvador, when American money blows up, Bitcoin's going to go through the roof. 
That means that Bukele is taking poor people and turning them into rich people. The same way Thomas Jefferson bought the Louisiana Purchase from Napoleon for $12 million, and we got the whole middle third of the United States after we kicked your country's ass. That was what you call an amazing return of freedom. And just remember, the entire breadbasket of the world is in that Louisiana Purchase. We got it for $12 million. And what do we consider Bitcoin in the United States? We call it property, digital property. What was the Louisiana Purchase? Tangible property. They're one and the same. They're characterized by our system exactly the same way. Um, the difference is the potential of Bitcoin is exponentially greater than the Louisiana Purchase. I want you to stop for a minute as a 48-year-old Indian doctor living in the UK and realize something about our history. We were a small little country with Minutemen that have become a superpower over 250 years. How did we do that? We used land and power on the sea to do it. Okay, We used property to do it. Now, this thing 12 years ago shows up after the great financial crisis from when our banks tried to fuck us. And this is immutable money, money you can't fuck with, money the government can't control. It's money for the people, by the people, 100%. It's absolutely the money that Thomas Jefferson and, and, and Monroe wrote about in the papers, the Federalist Papers, that were important in this country before we came up with the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. If we had fucking Bitcoin back then, we would have fucking thrown King George out even earlier. But instead, because there was no better option, Alexander Hamilton adopted the Bank of England's fucking fiat money because we mm. had no better choice. I'm telling you today, mm. the choice 13 years ago was put in the planet, and that is decentralized money, money you can't fuck with. It's not a scam, bro. It's actually okay. the antidote to the scam that you've been living for 48 years. 100%. Well, listen, I know I'm living this scam. I, I feel like I'm in this rigged game. And this and the everything is stacked against me. Honestly, it, to be an ethical surgeon, I always say I'm an ethical surgeon. I'm a really shit businessman. I don't deal with insurance companies half of them anymore, more than half of them. You know, I don't operate on more than maybe like no, three, four percent of my patients. I try and p treat patients non-optimally. Um, but you know what? Everyone wants a piece of my my income. The tax man, especially the indemnity people. The private hospitals. And by you the know end of you're the day, living in the wrong place, right? It's a rigged You know game. you're living in the wrong place because you know what Bukele? But you know what I, Bukele did for you, right? If you come here, it's mm -hmm. tax-free if you're a foreigner and set your business up here. You know oh, that, wow. right? No, I didn't. So that's the reason why when I when I take care of decentralized patients, I offer some, anywhere between a 20 and 50% discount if they pay me in Bitcoin. If you pay me in fiat, you have to pay me double. How do you like that? Wow. Wow. I wish I could move to El Salvador. <laughs> Maybe yeah, one day. There's nothing stopping you. I've got three young children. I've got three young children and a wife in training. Still doesn't matter. I got, I, I got a guy here right now. Dave Herrera's got three young children. And guess what? He just did a six-hour consult with me in that pool. And I convinced him and his wife to be here. They're actually moving here. He's actually here right now. His wife left. 
and she's coming back with the kids. You know why? Why? One of my other members here who relocated here from Seattle is now starting a homeschool here, Joe Marquez and his wife, Deanna. And he said, if I can get my kids homeschooled by someone down here, he goes, I'm all in. I said, well, I got that covered. I already have members here that have got that. So, Ahmad, this is what I'm going to tell you. You're, 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 central, you're decentralized in your medicine, but you're not decentralized in your finance. You, I'm my not- friend, are the exact opposite of the guy that I talked to last night. The guy <laughs> last night, when I did the Bitcoin Beach podcast, I want you to listen to it. And I'm okay. telling you this. Send me a link. I Send went me a link. off on him. Oh, it'll be on Twitter. You can look at it that way. Okay. What I want you to realize is that he is the opposite of you. And I need you to get the story of decentralized finance because when you get that, dude, you're going to be in fuego. You're going to be on fire and you're going to realize that all you've been doing is making mistakes. If you want to be the best doctor you can be, you want to be the best person you can be, the best CEO of you, the best shepherd for your family, bro, you're going all in and you're going to be decentralized. And I promise you, this is my promise. Four okay. or five years from now, you will remember this podcast for the things that I just told you in the last five minutes. If you don't listen to me, I will make fun of you like I make fun of Dave Asprey. I promise you. I'm going to make sure you don't make th- fun of me. I'm going to stay in touch with you, and I want you to keep in touch with me, swap numbers, and I'm going to ask for advice, and I want you to show me the way. Well, I'll do that. I'll do that. But you still have to show me proof that you bought some Bitcoin. If you don't get off of zero in the next three or four days, I'm out. So you're going to have to send me DM proof on Twitter that you're off of zero. I don't even know how to get started, but yes, I'll look into it. I have no idea. Even how to- Go to catch up. Well, guess what? My, my good friend, he's also one of my patients, Jack Dorsey. Remember, he used to own Twitter. He owns mm-hmm. cash up. That's the, the company block. Call him up. The other guy I'll hook you up with is my friend Jack Mullers. He runs Strike. He also is a personal friend of mine on Twitter. I will make sure that you get the help you need, but you need to be off zero. You need to get on Twitter and and post a little video or something and just show your Strike or your Cash App and say, dude, look, I bought 10 bucks. I bought 20 bucks. I bought 30 bucks. But you have to prove it. You have to have skin in the game. I need to see the proof of work. Otherwise, I'm never doing a podcast with you again. Do you know what? I love this. This is the kick up the backside that I needed. I've had so many people say to me, get on with the Bitcoin. And um, I like this. You're going to make me do it, Jack. I mean it. Good. Thank you. (laughs) This is what I needed to hear. Um, Listen, I, I need to wrap up now because I actually don't do late night. Late night podcast i do it during the day like you i've got big massive windows around this little garden studio i made and um i i always have the podcast during the day but because you're in el El salvador (laughs) this is the only best time i could do it for you know for it to work but i'm really getting sleepy and it must be something with this blue light red light the next well the next time we do this also not only do you have to have the bitcoin but you have to have (laughs) blue block and glasses on as well fine Yep. All right. All well, right. listen, thank you so much. All right, don't hang. It was good talking to you. Yeah, don't hang up yet. Don't hang up yet. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. This was, I think, of all the podcasts I've done now, 
the most mind-blowingly amazing one. I'm going to have to go back and watch and this and listen to it because I don't normally listen to my own podcast, but this one was actually mind-blowing. All the links to Jack. Yeah, <laughs> but I need to watch this one again. Um, all the links to, to Jack's social media will be on the website. Um, everyone, thank you much, so much for listening. Mm-hmm.